This is the Bible in one year, day 304. The surprising secret of freedom. I have on my table a violin string, wrote Rabindranath Tagore. It's free to move in any direction I like. If I twist one end, it responds. It's free. But it is not free to sing. So I take it and fix it into my violin. I bind it. And when it's bound, it is free for the first time to sing. True freedom comes when we bind ourselves to Jesus and fix our eyes on him. As the violin string comes alive when bound into the violin, so we come alive in Christ. Jesus is the great liberator. He sets us free. At the heart of Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. Jesus died for you. He was raised to life and he is alive today. You cannot see him physically, but you can see him with the eyes of faith. In today's passage, the writer of Hebrews says, We see Jesus. Later he writes, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is both the author of our faith and the author of our salvation, described earlier as such a great salvation. What does this salvation involve? What are we freed from? Proverbs 26 A sluggard says, There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A sluggard buries his hand in the dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. A sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel not their own. Like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbor and says, I was only joking. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. As charcoal to embers and as wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Freedom from fear. As Christians, we should be fearless. We should never allow fear of the enemy to slow us down. The writer of Proverbs says, A sluggard says, There's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. Every Christian ministry faces fierce lions. Don't be put off by fear, which leads to inertia and lack of activity. Jesus sets us free to advance without fear of the opposition. Freedom is the antithesis of apathy. The writer goes on to warn against every kind of laziness. He warns us not to get involved with other people's arguments. He warns also against jokes that involve telling lies. The best way to heal a quarrel is to stop gossiping. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Just as without wood, a fire goes out. It's so tempting to listen to gossip because the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. But listening to gossip is as bad as gossiping. Rather like receiving stolen goods is as bad as theft. Here is wisdom about how to heal a quarrel. Never add fuel to the fire, but rather be a peacemaker. Lord, thank you that through Jesus... I can be set free from my fears. Help me to be bold in the face of opposition and never allow fear to slow me down. New Testament, Hebrews 2.
We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them, but we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again he says, Here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Freedom from sin and death. The letter of Hebrews is written to warn against drifting away. Most people do not suddenly give up being Christians, but we can drift. The author of Hebrews includes himself in this warning. We must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? In the first chapter of Hebrews, the writer establishes the divinity of Jesus. In this chapter, he establishes his humanity. He had to enter into every detail of human life. Jesus became like us in that he became for a while lower than the angels, is of the same family, calls us brothers and sisters, shares in our humanity, was made like us in every way, suffered when he was tempted. But, he adds, although Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, 
he was without sin. This shows that temptation is not sin. Do not allow the devil to condemn you just because you're tempted. The fact that Jesus himself was tempted means that he's able to help you when you are tempted. He was like us, but different from us in regard to sin. It's so encouraging to know that Jesus has experienced the full range of human experience and emotion. He understands and sympathizes with you. Yet it's also important that he was sinless. We do not just need a friend who can sympathize with us. We need a savior. Jesus was both fully divine and fully human. This is what made it possible for him to achieve such a great salvation through his death and resurrection. He is able to bridge the gap between you and God. In this passage, the writer tells us a number of things about the death of Jesus. On the cross, he tasted death for everyone, destroyed the devil, freed us from the fear of death, made atonement for our sins, pioneered our salvation, was made perfect through suffering. A free person is not afraid to think about death. It's been suggested that ultimately all our fears are related to the fear of death. In setting you free from death and the fear of death, Jesus has enabled you to be set free from all your other fears. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus tasted death for everyone so that by embracing death, taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, scared to death of death. God testified to what Jesus had done, this great salvation, by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. If the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for those other than the apostles, surely signs, wonders, and miracles are also, and we should still expect them today to accompany the preaching of the message of Jesus and his great salvation. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to suffer and taste death for me. Thank you for setting me free and making it possible to enjoy freedom from the results of sin and the fear of death. Old Testament, Obadiah. The Vision of Obadiah. This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights, you who say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you! Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape-pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged! All your allies will force you to the border, your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, 
you will be covered with shame, you will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they had never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance, it will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There will be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath, the exiles from Jerusalem who are in Zephirad, will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Freedom from injustice. We live in a world of terrible injustice. To take one example, there are still over 20 million people in forced labor worldwide. 1.2 million children are trafficked every year. There are more people in slavery today than in the 350-year history of the transatlantic slave trade. The book of Obadiah promises that the world will not always be like this. One day, when God's kingdom comes in its fullness, there will be justice for all. The name Obadiah means one who serves and worships Yahweh. In this, the shortest Old Testament book, Obadiah, about whom we know virtually nothing, foretells the downfall of one of the enemies of God's people. The people of Edom were descended from Esau, Jacob's twin. They were always felt to have a real kinship with the people of Israel. However, this often showed itself not so much in mutual assistance as in hostile recriminations and charges of treachery. The two neighboring peoples, Israel and Edom, had a long history of war and rivalry. Pride was the downfall of Edom. You thought you were so great, thinking to yourself, nobody can get to me, nobody can touch me. Pride is the opposite of love. Love is not proud. It does not boast. Obadiah suggests that when Jerusalem fell to the Babylonian army in 587 BC, the Edomites did nothing to help, and they may even have taken advantage of Judah's fate. He writes, you shouldn't have gloated over your brother when he was down and out. He goes on to say, as you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. 
We should never gloat when an enemy falls. Rather, we should extend the same compassion as God extends to us. Obadiah speaks of the great deliverance that will take place on the day of the Lord. He writes, The day of the Lord is near. On that day, the great deliverance will take place. The remnant of the saved in Mount Zion will go to the mountains of Esau and rule justly and fairly, a rule that honors God's kingdom. One day, God's people will take the reins of government and administer God's justice. They will represent God's rule in God's kingdom. With the coming of Jesus, the kingdom of God has broken into history. When Jesus returns, we will see the kingdom of God in all its fullness. On that day, all the prophecies of Obadiah and others will be fulfilled. We will be freed from all injustice. Lord, thank you that one day justice will come to all. In the meantime, help us to fight injustice wherever we see it. Pippa adds, Proverbs 26 verse 20 says, Without wood a fire goes out, without gossip a quarrel dies down. We have a choice each time we hear a piece of gossip, whether to fuel it or whether to pour water on it and extinguish it.